Welcome to Geared for Growth. In this bonus episode, I'm sharing the recording of a webinar which was recorded on Wednesday, the 22nd of April 2020 with Kate Bakos. Kate is a seasoned buyer's advocate and president of the Real Estate Buyers Agents Association of Australia. And we asked Kate, was now the time to be buying an investment property? What should you do if you needed to sell and wanted to maximize the value? What's the market like now and how is it likely to change? And what should investors be focusing on? It's a great interview with Kate with some fantastic Q&A from the guests that were live on the night. We had over 100 people come and attend and I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it. It was a fluid situation, but of course there are some perennial concepts that we discuss that I think are of value for investors no matter what the market is doing. Here's the webinar. Hello everyone and welcome to our special webinar event on what you need to know about what's happening in the property market right now with Kate Bakos. Thank you for joining me, Kate. Pleasure, Mike. It's great to be here. There you are. Now, we're just going to cover off a couple of the things that we're going to go through this evening. So firstly, who is Kate Bakos? As if you need any introduction. You're obviously a buyer's agent, property investor, president of the Real Estate Buyer's Agent Association of Australia, which is why I thought you'd be a fantastic person to get in to talk about what's happening in the property market because you've obviously got access to other members across Australia. Uh, you're a mortgage, qualified mortgage broker, real estate agent. That's where we're sort of losing a bit of respect. <laughs> um, Stop it. <laughs> you're on the telly, you've written books, you're a podcaster. Um, and you've got a science degree messing about with chemicals that explode when they meet oxygen. I don't even know how that works. Um, <laughs> I know uh, all too well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on board. And um, just for people that have, have jumped in, we, we're going to sort of cover, is now the time to be buying an investment property? What you should be doing if you are forced in a position where you need to sell? Um, what's the market like right now and how it's likely to change? And what you should be focused on as an investor? And we're going to do a Q&A afterwards, but feel free to jump on the little chat section and ask any questions along the way. But we are going to hand it over to yourself, Kate. Can you start with giving us a bit of a pulse of what the market's like at the moment? Obviously, you're on the ground transacting every day. What are your observations from the coalface? Yeah, okay. Well, we've got to date stamp that on a daily basis because our coalface has changed daily, as you can imagine. And, you know, when coronavirus... Um, you know, became a, a common news feed item and when every single piece of news we were hearing was, you know, increasing restrictions and horrible things going on overseas, um, our property market changed overnight. And as a, a buyer's agent, I had a book of active clients um, and quite a, a large proportion of them decided to go on hold. Justifiably, they didn't know what the future held. They didn't know what the job security would look like or you know, where the price falls would occur and they could capitalise later. There, there was just a lot of uncertainty. And mm -hmm. as the restrictions continued to grow, it, it just made things really difficult. And once we were restricted with... Um, walking through open for inspections and once it was by appointment and one person at a time and all of the various controls that we've had across our states in slightly differing measures, uh, it just became very hard. Uh, mm -hmm. The JobKeeper announcement was a huge win for a lot of people and it, it certainly um, was a, a really great piece of news for me because I'm a small business owner with staff, but I'm, I'm not on my own and we keep hearing that, you know, we're in this together. But from the coalface point of view, it, it got really tough. And I think the toughest signs that I saw were vendors who were panicking. Agents right. didn't, didn't know what the future held and how bad things would get and whether they'd be able to open the door for the vendor the very next day, but the vendors were particularly anxious. And if I categorise the vendors, they were those people who were upgrading or downsizing and had made their purchase decision before coronavirus hit. So yeah. they're locked in a purchase and they have to sell in order to make settlement. And as we all know, bridging finance is a really difficult beast to try and navigate at the best of times. Mm. So if you're staring down the barrel of a gun and you're looking at a settlement date that you have to meet, otherwise you're, you know, rescinding and losing a deposit, that, that's a big nightmare. So a lot of vendors 
were um, highly motivated to get the property sold and to do it quickly while they knew that inspections could be facilitated. So in the very early days, we saw some advantageous buyers, if you want to call it that, um, and we, I saw discounts around the 10%, which, which is a really hefty discount to have to sustain if you're a vendor. Yeah. That was in the early days though. And as our, I'll go into detail as, as we get rolling, but as our curve started to flatten and Australia looked like it was potentially outperforming rather than, um, you know, landing in, in a basket case situation and, and echoing, you know, the likes of Italy and the UK and Spain, we started to look like we might um, pull through this with, you know, a little bit of optimism or at least without our hospitals being completely overloaded and horrible things going on. And once that started to happen, it coincided with the vendors that were in trouble having sold their property, albeit at a discount, and by then we still had some motivated vendors but not so petrified. And so the price falls that we were seeing a couple of weeks ago weren't, weren't quite around that 10%. Now, there is market segmentation to talk about, but I was watching the discounting starting to ease. And then as we've come through this and we're now t starting to talk about whether we'll eradicate the virus, I mean, Australia's at the moment in a reasonably strong position. Um, we're now seeing people who have been sitting back thinking, well, how much worse can this thing get? Because once I start to see signs that it's not worsening or that we might have green shoots, I want to jump in and buy buy my home or buy my investment. So we're just starting to see that. Uh, I've been checking in with my Melbourne and Sydney colleagues. I've talked to a few um, regional um, and other capital city advocates as well, and it's not across the board showing green shoots, but we're certainly um, seeing signs of improvement, slow improvement or a little bit of optimism in Sydney and Melbourne. It's an interesting observation you talk about the people that were sort of currently on the market or just coming on that may have been committed to actually sell the property because they have to you know settle on the on the property they're upgrading to so it's easy to say like oh well you know people should have just withdrawn from the market right because it's not a great time to sell yeah but once those people sort of went through and yes unfortunately would have had to take that 10 percent hit you've now got those people that are maybe were looking to go on the market and they're saying we'll keep it on hold and mm. you can see from the data as well obviously the the um the property sold prior to auction just absolutely went went crazy you know like it did. yeah beforehand yeah we we had some big Saturdays planned on the board we popped all of our auctions up on the auction board and for that weekend of the was it the twenty eighth and then we had the the seventh of April so leading into Easter we typically have a super Saturday before Easter yeah. and I was a little bit stressed about how we'd cover all of our auctions we had you know everybody wants to take the house to auction on a you know 11 o'clock 12 o'clock 1 o'clock yeah. you know all our midday segments I was I was having to pull in emergency bidders and earmark people and all of a sudden we had this massive rush of you know bringing two full weekends of auctions forward and private negotiations and boardroom auctions, in-house auctions, and then it, it went to Zoom auctions. And I had one day where I participated on a weekday in four auctions that were meant to be weekend auctions, and it was just a little bit crazy at that time. It, it felt really tough. Mm. Um, but what, what I will comment on in terms of the the start of corona and the, um, you know, the vendor sentiment then, we kind of had two categories of vendors as well. We had the vendors that were really panicked and saying, just get my house sold really quickly. I even had one purchase I made where the vendor gave the agent two days to get the house sold. And, of course, wow. when you only have two days to get a price, it's not going to be a dream price. So no. that, that was, in hindsight, a pretty sharp buy. But we also had the vendors that were obviously, everybody was anxious about it. You know, the unknown is very scary. But the vendors that rolled with it and let their agents do what they had to do. So when the agents were saying, okay, this is what we're dealing with. Here is, um, you know, here's an option that I'm suggesting we, we go ahead with. It might be an online auction or it might have been bringing everyone into a boardroom auction and just making it all happen. The vendors that sort of rolled with their agents' suggestions, they didn't do so badly. Um, I saw a little bit of discounting, but even in that final week leading into total lockdown, um, I, I participated in some in-room auctions and 
I didn't see signs of, of nasty discounting at all. Maybe two or three percent off the, the ideal pre-corona price, but it, it wasn't messy like we, we were hearing. We were going to sort of ask the question about what, what you should be doing to maximise the value if you need to sell. Obviously, the first tip you've got there is listen to your agent. I mean, that's what you were paying them for to begin with. They are that sort of barrier between you and your emotions. So, you know, they're the skilled negotiators. So, mm. yes, it's emotional, but if you've got that trained expert, they're the people that you want to be leaning on. Yeah. I wanted to just um, take a quick uh, poll of the room just to get a bit of a sense of who we're who we're talking to, um, just asking whether you're a property investor or you're aspirational or no way in hell. Um, <laughs> while, while we're doing that, we might jump into um, the slides again, certainly the one that you referenced about how we're going in flattening the curve. Yeah, okay. I, I like this one because it's got dates. We've seen a lot of, of curves with a, a start date, like first recorded case. But um, the, the reason I like this one is you can, you can have a look at the, um, the dates down the bottom and really track how sentiment started to change. And I can recall when some of the, the toughest bargains I purchased were. And then when, when I started to see more buyers coming onto the market and competition. And competition is, you know, one of the, the critical signs of the health of a market because at the moment we can't really rely on our auction clearance rate, which is always a really good measure for taking the temperature of our market. Yeah. So now it's days on market. It's the level of competition you have when you're fighting for a property. And it's obviously how close to the pin it lands um, based on um, an appraisal that we apply or how much over reserve it goes. But reserve is not always a reliable measure because if you've got a super scaredy cat, um, anxious vendor who just wants it sold, their reserve will, will reflect that. So uh, as we got to um, to the end of March and when we started to hear that we were on top of things and I, you know, Christopher Joy was one of the economists that called it pretty early, um, it was at that point that I started seeing competition um, when I was going for properties. I was no longer negotiating with the agent or dealing with direct with the vendor. I was having to, to fight for the property and establish again, you know, what are the rules of competition and how do you want to play this? Is it going to be back and forth or, you know, tender or best and highest, whatever they want to call it. And that really kicked in in April. And I, I would arguably say that it's it's got tougher and tougher. And for the last 10 days, I haven't had a negotiation where I've been on my own. I've actually had competition. So um, that, that was a, a really good one to look at in terms of tracking how buyer sentiment and buyer participation at the coalface started to kick in. Interesting. And I'm just noticing that um, Melinda's suggested that optimism in Brisbane is starting to show as well. Obviously, Fantastic. A buyer's agent there and Heidi Karen, Peter, Jordan, um, Joseph, Marty and uh, Melanie as well. Um, the the next slide I think you wanted to, to feed into was, yes. um, well, it's going, I guess, seems like in a bit of a dark direction, but yes. it, it, it's, it's just serving as a means of comparison between the way that we've dealt with it in Australia compared to globally, right? And, and we probably do deserve a, a pat on the back despite all these Bondi Beach um, scandals that we're seeing. That's right. And look, it's, it's, I've put the cumulative deaths, um, chart up because it was the story of, of death that was really starting to rattle a lot of people. And obviously re the relationship between, you know, a, a large number of deaths that were threatening our healthcare system as well. Um, and a direct correlation with being locked down for longer. And so people were fearful about their jobs and fearful about how long this would take for us to, to break through. And it, it wasn't until it became obvious that, and this is a cumulative um, y-axis, so it, it means that you're looking at, at um, a, a very strong factor of, um, of numbers here. It's, it's not linear. And so it, it became abundantly clear pretty quickly that we were not sustaining the, the high numbers of loss of lives that we were seeing overseas. And, and again, it... it was just to correlate with uh, market sentiment and confidence and people's willingness to come back out and, and buy property. Um, and again, it, it, I had this chart up before I got the one prior, but it, it 
basically shows that um, as we hit, you can say that the first our first casualty, our first death in Australia was on the 1st of March and it, it was around the, the day 30 that we started to see more buyers, more competition and a slight change of, of attitude towards getting out there and buying. And not everybody is in a position to buy, but what we have to remember is it's not just essential services people that, that are interested in buying. We've got a lot of people that, that can still buy and are in all kinds of roles where, you know, um, confidence around getting finance and confidence around job security is not biting them. So that was sort of leading me into my next question, and, and that is who are the buyers and who are the sellers at this point in, in time? Ignoring the sellers that were sort of pre-committed and upgrading and just finding themselves sort of, you know, stuck with the situation. Who are the mm. people that are actively selling and who are the people actively knowing, are buying, knowing that they're part of this, this pandemic situation? Yes. Well, we've chatted a little bit about the sellers and fair to say that the majority of vendors out there um, who were selling for a discount were the really motivated ones who had to. They had to because they were committed to something or there was some, you know, fear driver, but it was a, a significant reason. We've got vendors now that are prepared to sell um, and they're, they're facilitating their transactions, a lot of them off market, and I'll go into that down the track as well. But those vendors don't necessarily desperately have to sell, but they're probably the vendors that were on the agent's books or in conversation with agents saying, this is the year I want to sell. And it's because I want to upgrade or downsize or move out of the area. Now that motivation hasn't disappeared, but they're not about to go big time and spend thousands of dollars on marketing and advertising unless they can you know, be certain that they've got a great opportunity for a campaign. So if they can get a buyer who's prepared to pay a fair price, then they will themselves get back out there and find their next property. So yeah. we do have vendors now that are prepared to upgrade, downsize, but are happy to wait if, if it's not going their way as well. And they're not necessarily opportunistic and looking to, you know, break the land speed record with their sale price. But they, they want to get a realistic sale price. And then we've got the, the vendors that um, we probably haven't seen quite yet um, come out of the woodwork, but they might be the, the vendors that have financial pressure and are forced to, to make a decision about what do I sell. And they're the vendors that will sell a holiday house before they'll sell their own family home. That's an interesting point because I'm just wondering, like with... We've obviously, there's going to be a lot of people that are eligible for the job keeper, which makes a big difference. But the probably the biggest one for mine is the the mortgage holiday. So you can freeze for six months. So that's really going to necessarily stop people from having to put their property on the market. So yeah, the, yep. the holiday homes it makes sense they're they're going to have yeah. to go. But will, will there be people flooding their properties onto the market and and selling as a distress sale? I I think that people are always loath to sell a family home. That's your last yep. resort. You know, you sell other things before you sell that. Um, holiday houses though, they you'll recall this yourself. You've been through a couple of cycles, and the, the last downturn we had, we saw a greater abundance of holiday houses in you know. Um, seaside destinations getting sold and I remember after the GFC a lot of um, dips in lifestyle markets and holiday houses hitting yep. hitting the market and it, it felt pretty tough. The challenge that we've got is lack of mobility at the moment. It makes it very hard to clean, clear out your holiday house and pack the removals truck yeah. and you know that's very difficult and if you've been for any Airbnb uh, landlords and there's a lot of them really difficult to get a, a long-term tenant with a furnished property. It's it's not your average run-of-the-mill um, residential tenancy kind of um, situation because tenants usually have their own stuff. Yeah. And it's hard to, to clear out something, and especially if you're interstate or if you're a long way away and we've got lockdown. So we've, we've seen a delay there, and I think that it's for that reason. And I can anticipate that people will either be forward-looking, particularly business owners who have really felt the pinch, the lifestyle things are the first things to go. Yeah. Just uh, circling back to the poll, we've got 75% of people that are property investors right now and 20% oh, wow. are working towards it. So only 3% are, are either not interested or they're, they're not going in that direction. Um, I'll, I'll, open that, I'll open up another poll um, in a moment, but I thought I would jump into the slides to give us a little bit of extra... Um, 
ammunition and talk about Ooh. whether yeah look at this one, <laughs> whether now is the time to be buying an investment property or was it two weeks ago or will it be in two weeks from now oh look there's plenty of sayings to this to answer this question you know a lot of people said the best <laughs> best time to buy an investment was yesterday it actually i would never be as um bold and as flippant as to say that in this kind of environment uh the time when it, it, the the wrong time to do this is when you've got um, job security concerns or cash flow issues already it's mm. no no kind of brave move to jump into the market will be rewarding if if there's too much risk there now every investment takes risk and sometimes requires people to be bold but now is a time to be really careful and the banks have been particularly um, strict with some of their their changed policies and there's no surprises for anyone who's out there trying to get finance right now they're focusing carefully on various industries and the banks have you know a loan book of their own to to manage so they're not about to let people take risks as well yeah. but if we if we look at this one and I'm, if you're okay for a second mark i was going to just jump back and answer yeah. your last question in full so that it gives this context you asked me who were the buyers who were the buyers yeah, yeah. i've jumped ahead that's okay. Um, and we've got we've got a few different buyers. We've got buyers that are situational, so they're they're the people that based on their situation they need to buy. It might be that they're having a baby and they want to be in a particular area, or uh, they've got kids starting at a school soon and they want to be in the zone, or they've already sold and they ideally don't want to um, sit back and rent. So they're the people that have a burning reason to buy a home. Then we've got opportunistic buyers. And they might be buyers that don't have to have a home right now, but they think it's the right time. It's taking advantage of softer conditions. And, you know, there are a lot of buyers out there who remember all too well how hard it was to try and negotiate in the face of really tough competition after the federal election bounced back last year. And our, our markets went really hard all the way to the start of coronavirus. So people that remember how tough and horrible that was, they're saying to themselves, well, this is a home. Let's... Get in there and do it right now while we can get what we can afford and we haven't got the same competition. Yeah. Um, and then we've got, you know, some people switching from one particular asset class and going into property, namely shares. We had a lot of people jumping out of shares and into property when things, um, you know, when we saw signs of, of big market wobbles. Um, and then we've also got expats who uh, will be caught in the crossfire here a little bit, and I do feel for the expats. Uh, we've had a change, a subtle, quiet little change late last year to our capital gains tax laws um, that means that expats who um, were traditionally going along thinking they had um, preserved their capital gains tax um, well, they had a capital gains tax-free situation on their family home. They're, they're now going to be taxed on their family home after yep. a particular amount of time as owners. And so we, we'll have a lot of people that will be wanting to get their properties sold before... In the um, financial year. In the financial year, because otherwise they'll, they'll give up a lot of... Well, they'll be paying a lot of tax if they sell after that. Yep. Um, and, then, and then we've got investors who are fearful about rental payment issues. And I don't... I haven't... Um, what am I saying? Sorry. They're the, so I've just chatted about buyers and sellers. So, yeah, the, the buyers, though, back back to what we were talking about, the opportunistic buyers, I'm not seeing a lot of investors, but I'm, I am seeing a few. Yeah. So I think that's a good segue into your next chat. Yeah, and, and the renters, um, the, the rental sort of situation in Queensland was looking very, very dire, right, because they were saying things like the tenant wouldn't have to prove hardship to be able mm. to start negotiation but thankfully they've come back on that it yeah. seems like there's a much fairer balance between vendors and tenants but yeah of yeah. course people are fearful are they going to have a tenant that is you know genuinely impacted by this and then they're going to have to wear wear the rent for six months and of course there's the eviction moratorium but um we're back mm. at the good news, which is the bounce back. Yes. Right. And uh, I will put up a, a poll as well if people think that there's going to be a rebound in 2020. Yeah. You can tell us at the same time. That'll be an, an interesting poll because this is last year and it's following the federal election. The black line is Australia wide and the two blues are Melbourne and Sydney. And you can see that it, uh, we've got a little bit of, of uptick there for Brisbane and, and Adelaide. Um, and oh, Hobart was kind of wobbly at that stage, but a little bit there as well. Obviously, Perth wasn't playing ball um, in the same direction, but 
that was almost overnight. We had a very sudden bounce back and we call it the V. It was a very, it was a, a tight V, but it was a deep one as well. And, and it, everybody who, who works in the industry, mortgage brokers, um, buyers agents, uh, selling agents, we all felt it overnight. And we, we had a really strong bounce back for, for an obvious reason, but the strength of the bounce back was based on the supply and demand ratio and it got really out of whack. And what happened was going through our, our slowdown and for Melbourne, we came a tad after Sydney. Our, our market got really yuck um, at the very beginning of 2018 and it didn't bounce back until the federal election. But while things were, were degenerating and, and feeling pretty awful, Vendors were opting out, same as we're seeing now. The ones that had to sell sold and the ones that didn't have to sell decided, I'm, I'm not dealing with this situation. I will wait it out until things improve. And so things did improve and it was a binary result. It wasn't like the situation that we're in now where we can measure how quickly it's getting better and we can wear shades of grey. Um, back on the 18th of May last year, it was binary. It was ScoMo's in or ScoMo's not in. And so... We had a sentiment change overnight, particularly from investors, and we didn't have enough stock out there to soak them up. And so what happened was they bounced in with gusto. We'd had some rate cuts. We had three consecutive rate cuts in a go, in one go, and we had um, the Royal, the Banking Royal Commission um, came and went, um, and all of a sudden we had super cheap money, we had a Liberal government, and we didn't have enough stock. So that as a result, that bounce back was very, very strong. So the question has to be asked, what similarities could, could this recovery have based on stock shortage? And we will chat about the amount of stock or the, the um, limitations of um, you know, stock supply out there at the moment. And I wanted to also, of course, circle back to the people that are selling. And I guess I want to put people in front of information that's most helpful to them. And yes, mm. it's great if you're an opportunic, opportunic um, investor and you've got a stable cash flow and you've got a war chest and a buffer to be jumping in and taking advantage of the opportunities. But if someone is listening um, either live or after the fact and they are in a position where they need to sell, what, what can they do to maximise the value right now? Okay, let's assume they're an owner-occupier or they're selling a vacant property. It's got to be presented nicely, and that goes without saying. I'd say that to anyone in any climate anyway. I would invest in a great walkthrough video because for all of the people out there that understand the agent's video is the agent's version and they're working for the vendor, and there are a lot of people that are happy to, to take that video on and make a purchase decision off the back of it. So invest in a great video. Um, also... Now is the time to have an agent who's very active in that area. And the reason I say that is we've seen a huge decrease in the number of listings that have gone on to our search engines. Um, and both of our, our main search engine operators have, have you know, been incentivising agents to list because they've had volume drops. And agents are now, um, more than ever, more than I've ever experienced in, in 10 years as a buyer's agent, I've had such a huge um, number of, of off markets thrown at me and it's because it's it's kind of the currency that we're working with at the moment two reasons for that vendors are feeling the pinch and don't want to spend megabucks on a search engine and secondly they don't want to advertise to the whole world and get all of the neighbors and their friends through their house so we've got a um you know coronavirus is very serious and they're justifiably really scared so what they want the agents to do is focus on qualifying the buyers properly bringing through people who are purchase ready, you know, they're finance ready, the agent knows what their brief is. And so we're, we're seeing a real turn to old-fashioned selling agency where the agent goes through their buyer list and profiles their buyers and brings them through by appointment. So now is more time than ever to make sure you've got a local area agent, someone who knows that area inside out and has a book full of buyers who are interested in that area and someone who ideally specialises in that kind of dwelling. So if you've got a flat or a unit, get someone who does a lot of flat and unit volume because they'll have underbidders and they'll have buyers on their books. Yep. Uh, if you're an investor, it is a bit harder uh, and there's no doubt about it. 
Getting through a tenant to property as a buyer's agent is super hard work. Tenants can say no and no means no. Mm. So if you can, you might have to think about incentivising your tenant to either let you bring people through by appointment or to vacate. And incentivising a tenant in this kind of environment to, to vacate can be expensive. I heard um, one, one scenario recently, it was a premium house, but all that aside, they had to pay the tenant $20,000 to vacate. Um, but that meant the difference between being able to sell the property and not being able to sell it. So yeah. for some, that, that's a genuine option. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting to see that real estate agents have kind of gone back to the old way, like as, as you say, the qualifying the buyers. It's a bit like, you know, you would hop in the agent's car and they would drive you around to the properties. I mean, it seems like that's what would be happening if you could get close to people. Yeah, they just have sanitizer at the front door now. They put their gloves on. We'd be back in that market. Yeah. And um, the poll's telling us that 59% of people think that we are looking for a rebound in 2020. So hopefully if you can hold on and you don't need to sell, then that comes true and uh, it'll be a lot better environment. I'm interested in how the negotiations um, have changed with agents since the pandemic began. Okay. Um, and correct me if I'm right, we have a slide. Uh, we're actually talking about no, other reasons. Um, this is good. I can chat about a slide. Yeah, cool. So how have negotiations changed? Well, when it first struck, they were really, um, you know, begging us to make an offer. You know, if you're interested, just give us an offer. And they're wrapping things up very quickly. And that was because they had vendors who were obviously freaking out and we didn't know how long we'd be able to trade and if we'd even be allowed to trade because New Zealand, as you'll note, um, were ahead of, of us with their, their lockdown um, and severity. And real estate was not an essential service in New Zealand. So we, we were wondering, you know, which way is this going to go, all of us? So agents were wrapping up purchases very, very quickly, um, fast transactions. We did see some lowball offers and um, we probably made a couple of lowball offers, but um, lowball offers now, a month later, they're not, they're not tolerated um, or, or viewed in quite the same light. And that's because there's competition mm. now and less desperation. So um, some of the other things that we've seen change are the adoption of finance clauses, more clauses, People are pretty nervous. Brokers are saying don't go to auction. And we've obviously seen uh, far lower auction numbers and even the online, you know, Zoom efforts that I've been engaged in. The, the campaign might say that it's an auction campaign, but the reality is they're generally, more often than not, welcoming fair offers prior and really just having the auction date as a, a bit of a... Um, a, a stamp for the end of the campaign. So they're, they're basically giving it a finite length. But the reality is we can make a fair offer and probably wrap it up prior. And so now the, the agent's ability to control the negotiating mechanism is far greater than it has been with the traditional auction environment because, as, as we know, we go to auction, we've got auction rules, it's a public forum, there's no room for creativity other than an exciting auction spiel. And... You know, you, you, you bid in front of a crowd, whereas now the agents can determine whether we go back and forth, we have a boardroom auction, we have uh, best and highest, they can call the shots, they can say to buyers, you've got till five o'clock, you've got last right of your refusal, whatever they want, there's a lot of room for creativity. And so what that has done is probably put a fair few buyers out. We've had more calls about uh, perceived agent conduct, and it's Usually because not enough questions have been asked and either the agents have been inconsistent with the protocols or the, the buyer hasn't understood that the agent does, you know, have an opportunity to call the shots and to, to have their own rules when it comes to private sales. It's a bit less transparent in the private sales, isn't it? I mean, that's why yeah. you know, the, the government public housing is sort of like mandated that it goes to auction. So there's no way that there's little side deals going yeah. on. So yeah. it, it must be hard to gauge the competition that you have on a particular property when you're when you're negotiating private compared to an auction or do you still get a good feel about what the competition's like it takes a fair amount of experience and skill to suss out an agent be confident that you've got all of that information because they're not bound to give it to you so it's how you ask the questions that you're asking i i might be able to um force a, a sale process into a, a zoom online but it, you've got um you know a degree of of power as a buyer's agent with 
orchestrating how you would like it to play out. But at the end of the day, it's the agent's campaign and it's the vendor's decision. And so asking questions like how many am I up against um, is all well and good. But if the agent's wanting to create competition, they, they can tell you anything. Yeah, of course. And, and what's the sort of the demand and the competition like in general and how does that compare to different property types and locations? Are there locations that are just humming along like nothing happened compared to others which are maybe mm. high Airbnb exposure? Yeah. Uh, so how great. does that differ? I love this question. It's market segmentation at its finest. So price points is the first thing that, that we're looking at. Anything, obviously Melbourne and Sydney have slightly different median price points, um, but in, anything over $2 million in Melbourne, you're likely to have less competition on that kind of property because right now who's walking around with a spare, you know, three or $4 million in their pocket, less people. Um, the lower price points are interesting. First home buyers, we've still got a fair amount of, I won't say aggression, but there's definitely assertion out there. The first home buyers are, are going reasonably strongly. They're, they're a little bit fearful, but they're also mindful that they've got a little bit of a, um, a break in, you know, tough competition right now. Yeah. Uh, now, when we look at investment properties, the regional and the lower price properties, anything with higher rental yields, uh, I'm finding I've got a lot of competition on. And the reason for that is we've seen um, a little bit of a shift in investor sentiment, having been through this, to a, a set and forget property. So a property that if you lose a job or if you've reduced your hours, your rent is still covering your outgoings. And that's going against the grain of a capital growth investor but I think a lot of people are starting to understand the value in a balanced portfolio and particularly a property that you know won't tank you if if you have um, a job loss situation or reduced hours so I'm definitely seeing um, you know more competition for those kinds of properties coastal and holiday spots are yet to be impacted and people are reluctant to get out uh, they can't really so we're not seeing much there but i think that's probably my, my best overview right now is price points and um and yield points yeah and is the market and i'm going to run this um as a bit of a poll as well do you think it's do you think it's a it's a, a market where we should be uh cautious is it a is a risky market or or do you think that it's actually it's characterized by more opportunity than risk wow um I'd love to say that it's a, a market with opportunity because, you know, this is my saying, but the honest answer is if someone is in a precarious position with their income, now's not the time to, to go taking risks. Um, I, would, I would sooner say to investors not to panic and to do what they can to insulate themselves, whether it means talking to their broker or their bank about um, facilitating a switch to interest only if that's an option yep. or extending out their loan term so if you've already you know knocked your loans down to 15 years and you want to look at extending it to 30 with a refinance and you know just enjoy the the benefit of reduced pressure over the next six or 12 months however long you're under pressure and that that's a really good idea I think asking for a repayment holiday is probably the last um, the last option that, that you'd take if you could help it but it's it's there for good reason so is is now an opportunistic time uh, of course it is because there's less competition but as i'm saying to anyone who asks me kate should i buy a property right now yes or no it comes down to personal circumstances and yeah. i said to a couple a little while ago who were buying their family home uh, you guys can take advantage of lower competition and the chance to buy what you want where you want with the money you've got right now and if things worsen and the market drops you'll be sitting on a property that you bought and you'll look at look back retrospectively and say Joe, if we waited a bit we could have got you know another five or ten percent off and how how sad will you feel about that but if we flip it the other way and the market rebounds and you waited out to see how you could potentially go and try your hand at a discount, and of course the market strengthens, it could preclude you from the area that you were, in today's um, dollars, able to buy into. And will the feeling of disappointment in that scenario be greater than the feeling of disappointment in having missed out on getting a bit of a bargain buy? Yeah. I think that's a good way to look at it. If your job is, is secure and you can buy something now, you've got very limited 
competition compared to what you were facing before corona struck. Yeah. And I personally think that unless we have um, reinfection or, or something turns for the worse with, with our um, country's performance in the face of coronavirus, I think that we'll go from strength to strength from here. And we've obviously got business devastation and slowdown to think about, but as we were talking about before, Mike, that nobody wants to see house price falls, uh, most of all the banks and the government. So that, that's yes. why we've got these offers in place to try and stop the, um, the fallout from this in terms of um, fire sales and, and price falls. Everyone in charge and in a position of power has a vested interest in the real estate market not tanking. That's right. Uh, and I think that's a very sensible answer. If you think that you might be losing your job or you don't have a significant cash buffer, then you shouldn't be playing. But um, otherwise, you're probably matching the poll, which is saying that 69% of people are saying it's an, an opportunistic market um, to get into. Now, Heading back to our slides on recovery historically. Yeah, I this, love this one. I found it very, very interesting. So it ties into a question I wanted to ask you about how you expect the market to change. Now, obviously, there's a couple of variables, and one is we're going to release the restrictions at some point, and if we're getting little localised hotspots or clusters of infection, that kind of throws all the modelling out. But I think that the government has shown pretty clearly that they rather lock things down for longer to avoid that than open things up early. So yes. assuming that we're not going to have, you know, the virus sort of run rampant again, yeah. do you think we're going to see a recovery that's anything similar to the to the recoveries we've got in this, uh, this historic graph here? Well, potentially, and there's there's two colours here that I want to point to, and namely because I lived through them and remember them. Um, I professionally lived through them. So the purple, um, no, what am I saying? We've got, yeah, the, the, well, the bluey, purpley one, we've got um, JFC there. I was a mortgage broker during the JFC, and it was a very, very tough time. And yeah. for anyone who, else who worked through it, um, we had enormous incentives thrown out. We had cash giveaways, um, not not anything like what we've had this time around, but back then we thought that they were very generous. And yeah, I got a TV and everything. Yeah, we all got TV. And that's what they wanted, right? They wanted us it to was. go and blow it. So yeah. I just thought, sure, I could bank it, I could save it, but it's not going to help the country. Well, we stimulated our house market like there was no tomorrow. We all of a sudden had the first home buyer incentives um, and we had very low interest rates. I remember at the time saying to someone, this is insane. Our interest rates are at 5%. I never in a million years thought they'd, they'd get to like 2 and a bit percent. But anyway, um, nice. as you can see, it was a sharp sharp rebound. And then we look at uh, the federal election, so the, the green one, and that was, well, we've just talked about that, why that was a, a rapid V. And again, they were stimulated by cheap money and other incentives. Now, we've got the cheapest money and the most incentives that any of us in our lifetimes have ever seen all happening in tandem. Mm. So I've put this up to ask, I guess I think it's a rhetorical question, but we've really thrown a lot at this and there'll be people that will be hurt and won't be out there buying, there's no doubt. But for those who can, we've been incentivised to to bounce back and we've got the cheapest money um, on record going at the moment for um, for any investors and homeowners who are looking to to do something I'm interested to get your thoughts and we've we've talked briefly about how you're doing you know zoom auctions and here we are um, what where are we at with sort of the restrictions with buying obviously there was like a, a nervous couple of days where they were saying that you know agents couldn't bring people through properties that's been yeah sort of relaxed oh my gosh it, it just made such a mess didn't it and I it it Thursday and I saw you on Instagram <laughs> with a very serious look on your face for good reason yeah what are the hurdles to buying right now and I mean are they really hurdles like is is it is the yeah. way we have to transact in property influencing the the values and the demand I think I think it is this has changed the way that we're doing 
um, doing our jobs. And to be honest, it's changed the way we'll continue to do our jobs because we've all discovered that we can work remotely and we can waste less time and we can do a lot of things. And from contracts to settlements, um, even to verification of identity, we're managing to do things online that we didn't ever think we would. Um, look, what, what it has changed, while we've got the um, eviction moratorium, it's, it's changed things for, for people facing purchasing a, a property that's tenanted. Um, if it's not a tenant that you've chosen or if the tenant's already on a, a reduced tenancy, that, that's pretty tough. And so that, that has changed that segment of the market. But if we just talk about, um, you know, the, the transactional nature of all of this, uh, it does take a little bit more trust and a lot more um, conversation with the agent. So for anyone out there who, who just doesn't want to deal with agents, it's harder to do business because you can't, you know, stroll through a front door and give a bogus number and not talk to the agent and then rock up at auction and buy it. You've actually got to engage with the agent and probably work on getting them a bit on side because they're a bit more influential. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to be prepared to make some decisions on the back of one inspection because you'll have a situation where you get through the property, you love it, you want to bring your, your partner or your parents-in-law or whatever and, and they, they then say, no, we're not letting any more inspections because someone's got a sore throat and they might have corona. So all of those things have put pressure on buyers most definitely and it's put off a few buyers as well. But with online auctions, I've actually really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I look at you on the screen, Mike, if you were feeling nervous and swallowed I saw your Adam's apple go or, you know, your eyes went wide when you're getting close to your limit. I can see you way closer right now <laughs> than I can out in the street. So for some, it's advantageous. I'll say yes to a Zoom every day of the week. It's actually quite terrifying now that you, <laughs> you are very gifted at, uh, at reading people. Um, one little graph that I wanted to chuck up was about the auction volumes pre-election. I'm wondering if there are any sort of parallels with what we saw. Basically, people were sitting on their hands waiting for a result. Now, yep. it's a very different thing to the pandemic, of course. We were wondering, do we have an abolishment of negative gearing? Are they going after CGT with obviously the Labor policies? Is there something similar with the situation we're in now that's making people sit on their hands and then we've got this herd mentality waiting for the green shoots and then suddenly it's going to soar? Yes, um, there are similarities. So the similarity is that when times feel bad, a vendor who doesn't have to sell won't sell. The yeah. only time a vendor, when times are bad, the only time that vendor will sell is if they feel they can springboard into something in an equally crappy market. So what we saw last year was auction volumes um, and sale volumes really decreased to you know almost record low levels. And you can see when we had our bounce back, there was still no stock to support the renewed buyer interest. And unfortunately, because of our reporting regimes and natural delays with data, the vendors didn't catch on that the time was opportunistic to sell until months later. So we had it this- It happened very quick, didn't it? Look at it. <laughs> it did. But I, I even had, you know, and it happened in May and by June, July, we were all feeling it. The phones were ringing hot. We had, we had buyers again. And, you know, competition was rough. Our auction clearance rate was heading towards, well, it even got to 80%. And it yeah. held that held firm as well. And that, that's a sign of a very strong market. And the reality was people were scrapping over a limited pool of houses. It was really tough. And the vendors didn't catch on. I had someone say to me in December, oh, do you reckon I should think about selling? I'm like, absolutely. Now is your time. Yeah. So we we saw vendors really coming on at the start of the year in melbourne and they, they were obviously wanting to take advantage of the conditions and of course you know they went in for very long until coronavirus struck but the point was while we had that stock shortage and we had strong demand of course the auction clearance rate went up and buyers don't always look at things objectively and say well this is just silly it's a an underrepresentation of normal numbers i'm just going to wait until we get more they assume <laughs> as a lot of people do you know that this is the new norm and things aren't going to get better they'll only get worse i need to get in now while i can because i've got this fear of missing out and so FOMO was at an all-time high and people were were missing the fact that we were still yet to see our um, sales volumes come back because vendors were still looking at old data and not seeing the growth filtering through in real time. And I can chat a little bit about that, but the auction clearance rates that we see usually reliant on agents reporting in on a Saturday night. So imagine trying to catch an agent on a late Saturday afternoon 
to report in all of their uh, their sale figures. Not every single agent will do that. And so we have an inconsistency with our auction data. And you'll see between the data houses, it, there's always a variation. And sometimes it's not until the sale is recorded at settlement with the value of general, with our um, state revenue office, we, we can track what's sold and have a better um, pinpoint on, on the data. And so that can, if you've got a 90 day settlement, that can mean that you might not get that piece of data recorded for 90 days. It's already happened. Um, but what we can be certain about is that transaction volumes are going to hit the floor. They're obviously dropping and we're seeing listing activity. Cue the next little slide. Yeah, special uh, thanks to Chris Bates if he's listening because I was searching for something like this and <laughs> saw it half an hour before we pressed record. Um, and, yeah, the yellow line shows an absolute nosedive in um, in listing numbers. And this is, uh, I need to verify this, but it's my best educated guess. This is representative of what's online. So we're missing out a lot of those off markets that I was talking about. But it's still a, a really interesting chart because last year we were complaining that our auction volumes uh, or our listing volumes were, were super low. And yeah. so we've, we've really challenged that and it's a horrible chart. Mm. So if we head into a recovery and we've got, you know, even worse volumes than what we had last year and even cheaper money, uh, for those people who are wanting to buy, uh, we'll have low stock, potentially stronger demand, and that, that could really save some price falls. I think it will offer a fair amount of protection to um, to our our prices out there, to be honest. This, this could really see them either stabilised or supported. Now, I want to go to a Q&A, but before we jump into that, what is your crystal ball telling you and what should investors be focusing on right now? Now, let's say you are comfortable in your job and you're, you're looking for opportunities, you've got a cash buffer, all of the disclaimers about the stuff that we were talking about before yeah. are ticked off. Yes. Where, where should we be looking? I reckon my crystal ball fell off the same back of a truck as everyone else's and it has no warranty because our best economists aren't able to categorically say what's going on. Um, what, what we have to look at is our own financial position. It's most definitely an opportunistic time. Could it become more opportunistic? That is the big question. Um, my vote is no, but that's my personal Kate Bacos vote. I think we will see some pain and we'll see some sales, but... Um, Unless we see conditions out there in relation to to Corona count um, worsen, I think that we've we've seen seen some wobbles already. When I talked about ten percent price falls at the at the start of this, when everyone was fearful and no one knew what was going on, um, that in my view could be as bad as as it gets, and it yeah. could be a slow recovery. I'm not expecting you know a sharp V necessarily, but. Um, be really mindful of your cash flow. So if you're looking at investing, you've got to consider um, how much out-of-pocket you are prepared to tolerate. And I think more than ever, we all need to think about what uh, legislative tax changes could um, ensue in the coming years because we're, we're going to have some serious debts to sort out and we'll have, um, I think... A, an abundance of new tax regimes to get our heads around, whether it's land tax changes to stamp duty, whatever it is, um, we can't assume that it's business as normal. Capital gains tax, I think, is going to be back on the agenda. Yes. Um, I think Labor are still on the negative gearing thing. I mean, at least that's what Liberal have said the other day. I think Albanese said after the election that they, they were re-looking at that because they've been to two elections with it and it hasn't sort of served them very well. So yeah. we'll have to... We'll have to see about that, but I think you're right. We're going to have to pay for all of the stimulus that's been chucked at the economy. Mm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of tax stuff um, on, on the agenda there. I'll yeah. jump some... Um, I'm just scrolling through a couple of, uh, of comments and I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Marty's um, way too long for me to read in short succession. <laughs> So I'll get him to, to, to cut that down. Um, I'm getting a little bit of um, chin music and hate mail about being on the Botox. So thanks for, thanks for the great <laughs> competition there. Um, we just heard from um, 
Marty, he's uh, he's he's made it shorter. He's saying a, a 15% G GST. I mean, that was a conversation that was happening a year ago. That's that's on the um, on the cards. I'm willing to take a, a little bet here that it could wind up being greater than that. I reckon they'll step it, but that's just me. Yeah, I reckon Marty's a gambling man. He'll. he'll have <laughs> Um, Melinda's given some great advice as well, um, quantifying the risk of, of reduced rent and, t and choosing a tenant in a low risk industry and investing. Yeah, um, that's obviously that's a great point. I, yeah. I want to um, make a little statement here. I've got some properties in lower socioeconomic demographic areas where I've had tenants on centre pay. If anyone's familiar with that, it's you know the, the money goes straight into the rental payment and then the, the balance is, is given to the recipient. And, um, you know, people have varying opinions on um, the quality of parts of my portfolio, but I have to say right here, right now, that's the segment that's given me zero headaches. Right. That's really interesting, yeah, because I guess it's just that's taken away straight away, so it's yep. just going straight away. Well, and there's no job loss or income reduction there because they're on a benefit. Yeah. So, um, any questions? I'm throwing it out there to to the group. But while we're um, waiting for that to come in, another slide that you've pointed in oh. the direction I wanted to yeah. share, and that is an interesting one. It has some economic implications. Of course, we are a tourism-based sort of economy. Mm. Of course, services are, are the main one, but tourism is big. Yeah. Um, Special shout this, out to Pete for this. Thanks, Pete. Pete who yeah. Was here two weeks ago sharing his wisdom. He's given us a graphic about arrivals and departures. So, what can you tell us about this? What story is it telling? Yeah, we Aussies love our travel, and mm -hmm. you know, it's for us to move out of our country and, and jet around, it's it's been relatively affordable for a lot of us. And you can see that our short term departures. Um, greater than our short-term arrivals. So what that's meant is with lockdown, we have, you know, a, a net bigger number of people um, sitting indoors at the moment in Australia and we, we won't have uh, easy travel overseas for quite a long time. I think aside from going over the ditch and visiting our Kiwi buddies, um, there'll be a lot of overseas travel that, that we decide to not take and we'll turn to domestic. Um, and also, you know, Pete put up a really good blog on Sunday. He does his daily blog and he talked about um, when our borders are open and when travel resumes, international travel, Australia and New Zealand will be seen as some very attractive, safe places to go. Hey, and happens, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a big the, the Chinese fetish for the, the powdered milk style products. <laughs> yeah. you know, seen as very hygienic and safe. Yes, yeah. And if we so, get out of this with, uh, you know, relatively clean um, record, which it looks like we will, then we might be one of the first countries that companies, uh, that countries are opening up to. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to see the extension to this chart and see the switch again. Um, and what it begs to, to question is, Obviously, if we start to embrace domestic travel and staycations um, and we're, we're getting more people looking at Australia as a nice place to stay, will we see an increase in um, in, in local um, development of you know holiday-type destinations and will we see um, people embracing the idea of a holiday house? I already know we'll see people embracing sea change and tree change and permanent moves because dialing into work we've all demonstrated to ourselves it's easier than we thought i mean yes here i am on zoom and nothing's gone wrong that wouldn't have happened three months ago with me Mark. there you go yeah <laughs> nothing's unplugged um jordan asked an interesting question do you think online auctions will continue after the pandemic passes we've been forced Ooh. into this model there's a lot of questions about how the workforce is going to change but there are some things about property transactions that are going to go you know what that pandemic stuff that we trialed out that was pretty cool um my short answer we've already had some online auctions you know prior to corona but i think no i think we're going to revert back to our street theater because people love it. Agents love it, vendors love it. We all love it. But also the auctioneer's ability to read a crowd is never going to be the same on Zoom. They're looking at a screen and people are turning their, their screen off. You know, I was on an auction the other day and I was looking at lots of black boxes with people's names on and I didn't like that one bit. I want to see them looking scared. So 
in a in the street with the street theater and being able to read people's body language and control the crowd if i was a vendor i would opt for the real deal every day of the week yeah yeah interesting i think definitely a lot of workplace things will change but agents are still going to want to put those little flags under their car tires and do the yeah. shiny little brochure and get all dolled up you know and as much as buyers you know terrified at the idea of an auction and don't like the idea of bidding they also like the transparency they like seeing that the person's real and not a mirage they're not a, a bluffy fake buyer it's all very genuine joe mccurry shout out to joe good fella has um has asked how bad do you think the freeze on migration due to borders being closed will be for rents oh good question um i'm naturally concerned about the freeze on migration for lots of reasons i mean it's really underpinned a lot of our property growth as well but we've got a slowdown in building starts um and we've, we've got a lot of slowed down projects that had building starts that you know we've basically ground to a halt um we see a lot of new new arrivals that are skilled migrants and come with money and I'd, i need to familiarize myself with the, the the ratio between rent immediate renters and immediate buyers but i think that we we will see um, rental vacancy rates increase there's no doubt about it for lots of reasons and not just because migrants aren't um, hitting our shores but also because people who don't have to rent um, and have the option to move into a share house with others and reduce the rent or move back home with mum and dad or move in with family while they're experiencing lower incomes or no incomes, um, that's going to shake things up. So we, we absolutely will see um, reduced rental yields and we'll see increasing vacancy rates, not across the board, no market is equal, but as a general rule, I'm certain that we'll see those two figures change markedly. And I wanted to pop up our last poll as well, where you've sort of talked about yield-driven portfolios, people looking to those as a little bit more of a safe thing than punting on the on the capital growth, especially if people mm. are worried about their job or their cash buffer and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, basically asking how people are feeling that about that and is that going to change their strategy? What are you thinking? Uh, I, I love the idea of a balanced portfolio, but it depends on your end goal. So if your debt retirement strategy is not to sell anything, then you can't just collect all of these capital growth assets and pay mega bucks in land tax for the rest of your life. Um, you, you've really got to have a plan in place for what is your retirement goal. Is it to sell down and, and have a diverse blend of assets and have your returns coming in from various sources or is it to have a lot of lower price properties that are um, giving you a really decent rental return or is it to have a bit of a balance and so that that's the critical thing there but if you've got um, a lot of outgoings and you've got huge land tax bills and you've got um, a long time in the workforce until you can have that property sitting cash flow neutral then that's not necessarily the the best outcome either everybody has to have their own their own goal and their own um, property portfolio plan but the benefit in a more cash flow centric plan means that if you do hit hard times you're not forced to sell and crystallize a loss in a terrible environment mm, interesting the the group are pretty split on on that one at the moment yeah uh, justifiably i mean capital growth assets you know that's what we all love capital growth and we've been talking about it for a long time but um capital and capital growth is is your ability to generate equity quickly and continue springboarding into other and you've also got you've got to look at your tenant pool and your quality of tenant and um and the growth drivers the capital growth assets usually a really well located property that's in in you know a central area that has all of the attributes that attract professional workers who want to be close to town but they're not the bail and end all and it really as i said it comes down to your retirement strategy we might just jump into one last question because time flies when you're having fun. We've got a ball. <laughs> just gone over an hour. Um, Adrian has asked, um, hi, Marty and Kate. Um, never mind that Marty guy. Yeah, I'm Mike. Um, but hi, Adrian. Do you think the adverse impact on properties would mostly be confined to the properties in the higher end of the market, i.e. over a million bucks? Uh, short answer, a generalised short answer, yes. And I probably would have said maybe even over a million dollars. It 
you've really got to look at what the median values in an area are. If people are, are used to spending 1.5 to be in their desired suburb, well, then that, that's what that suburb is um, is well trained for. And for anyone who hasn't lost their job and isn't in a, a risky um, industry, then, then they'll, they'll be prepared to to still um, facilitate a loan to the same magnitude. Yeah. So... Thank you very much for your time, Kate. Um, if anyone wants to try and sneak in a question, I'll, I'll countenance it. But before we go, is there anything that you wanted to, to wrap up on? Any, any, any tidbits from the coalface or anything that you think investors or generally people in the property game should, should know or be wary about at the moment? Yeah, be really careful about where you get your data from. So pick some really high-quality journalists that know their stuff and ask the good burning questions, follow some favourite economists and have a look at what they've said about past downturns and, and past um, interesting periods. And don't just read everything in the headlines and certainly don't, you know, get your stuff off um, social media. I think you've, you've got to be discerning with where you're sourcing your data and do some reading. There's some really good portals out there you, know, you can see some of the stuff that I've been putting up here. It's been a real cross-section of data, but just make sure you're getting accurate information. Good tip too. Check out Kate's Sunday blog. So she's yeah. sharing a lot of information. So um, definitely check that out. So thank you very much, everyone, for participating and all, all the comments. There's been a lot of things firing off there. If you've got any comments after the event, um, feel free to shoot them through. I'll pass them through to, to Kate and we'll try and get you an answer. But Kate, thank you very much thank you. for sharing your time and your wisdom. Uh, it's been great to have you on and thanks for everyone participating. It's, yeah, uh, it's been thank you for Wednesday night. Thank you, everyone. It's been there you great. go. Let's have a glass of something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Kate. Cheers, Mike. Bye.